Welcome to Lost in the Woods Fairy Tales. I'm your host, Autumn Woods, and I'm so excited you're here. We're coming to the end of Season 4, and we'll be on hiatus until the spring while I work on the Chronicles of Warfare series by author Melinda Michelle. For now, we continue our adventures in Rise Above This, tales of women who seem to be swallowed up by life, unable to rescue themselves from circumstances beyond their control until they find the courage to rise above the past, seizing new life with both hands. Last time, we talked about the battle to reclaim godly identity once it has been assaulted, boldly proclaiming God's truth over your life and walking in it. This time, we're looking behind the scenes at the enemy's weapons of warfare against godly female identity and the importance of being taught how to combat them throughout your life. Other than the Holy Spirit, no one can teach you this better than an experienced godly woman. But what happens when there are none to be found? The enemy plays on fear and insecurity at every stage of life to distort the truth of who you are as a woman and a beloved daughter of God. We have to encourage each other and fortify ourselves with God's truth so that we can become wise women who build each other up in love rather than witch queens who tear each other down in fear. Our next tale is as much about the villainess as the heroine. It's the story of what happens when a woman is ruled by fear rather than love, choosing to abuse the one she is meant to nurture. It also explores the perils of growing up girl and the triumph of choosing to reject the enemy's paralyzing poison for the redeeming love of Christ. So, let's get lost as we read the story of Snow White Once upon a time, in the middle of winter, when the snowflakes were falling from the sky like feathers, a queen was sitting and sewing by a window with a black ebony frame. While she was sewing and looking out at the snow, she pricked her finger with a needle, and three drops of blood fell onto the snow. The red looked so beautiful against the white snow that she thought to herself, if only I had a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood of the window frame. Soon thereafter, she gave birth to a little girl, who was as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as ebony, and she was called Snow White. The queen died after the child was born. A year later, the king married another woman. She was a beautiful lady, but proud and arrogant and could not bear being second to anyone in beauty. She had a magic mirror, and when she stood in front of it and looked at herself, she would say, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? The mirror would reply, You, O oh queen, are the fairest of all. Then she was satisfied, for she knew that the mirror always spoke the truth. Snow White was growing up, and becoming more and more beautiful. When she was seven years old, she was as beautiful as the bright day, and more beautiful than the queen herself. One day, the queen asked the mirror, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? The mirror replied, My queen, you are the fairest one here, but Snow White is a thousand times more fair than you. When the queen heard these words, she trembled and turned green with envy. From that moment on, she hated Snow White, and whenever she set eyes on her, 
her heart turned as cold as a stone. Envy and pride grew like weeds in her heart. Day and night, she never had a moment's peace. One day, she summoned a huntsman and said, Take the child out into the forest. I don't want to have to lay eyes on her ever again. You must kill her and bring me her lungs and liver as proof of your deed. The huntsman obeyed and took her out into the woods. But just as he was pulling out his hunting knife and about to take aim at her innocent heart, she began weeping and pleading with him. Alas, dear huntsman, spare my life. I promise to run into the woods and never return. Snow White was so beautiful that the huntsman took pity on her and said, Just run away, you poor child. The wild animals will devour you before long, he thought to himself. He felt as if a great weight had been lifted from his heart, for at least he did not have to kill her. Just then, a young boar ran past him, and the huntsman stabbed it to death. He took out the lungs and liver and brought them to the queen as proof that he had murdered the child. The cook was told to boil them in brine, and the wicked woman ate them up, thinking that she had eaten Snow White's lungs and liver. The poor child was left all alone in the vast forest. She was so frightened that she just stared at all the leaves on the trees and had no idea what to do next. She started running and raced over sharp stones and through thorn bushes. Wild beasts darted near her at times, but they did her no harm. She ran as fast as her legs could carry her. When night fell, she saw a little cottage and went inside to rest. Everything in the house was tiny and indescribably dainty and spotless. There was a little table with seven little plates on a white cloth. Each little plate had a little spoon, seven little knives and forks, and seven little cups. Against the wall were seven little beds in a row, each made up with sheets as white as snow. Snow White was so hungry and thirsty that she ate a few vegetables and some bread from each little plate and drank a drop of wine out of each little cup. She didn't want to take everything away from one place. Later, she was so tired that she tried out the beds, but they did not seem to be the right size. The first was too long, the second too short, but the seventh one was just right, and she stayed in it. Then she said her prayers and fell fast asleep. After it was completely dark outside, the owners of the cottage returned. They were seven dwarfs who spent their days in the mountains mining ore and digging for minerals. They lighted their seven little lanterns, and when the cottage brightened up, they saw that someone had been there, for some things were not the way they had left them. The first one asked, Who's been sitting on my little chair? The second asked, Who's been eating from my little plate? The third asked, Who's been eating my little loaf of bread? The fourth asked, Who's been eating from my little plate of vegetables? The fifth asked, Who's been using my little fork? The sixth asked, Who's been cutting with my little knife? The seventh asked, Who's been drinking from my little cup? The first one turned around and saw some wrinkles on his sheets and said, Who climbed into my little bed? The others came running and each shouted, Someone's been sleeping in my bed too. When the seventh dwarf looked in his little bed, he saw Snow White lying there fast asleep. He shouted to the others who came running and who were so astonished that they raised their seven little lanterns to let the light shine on Snow White. 
My goodness, oh my goodness, they exclaimed. What a beautiful child. They were so delighted to see her that they decided not to wake her up and let her continue sleeping in her little bed. The seventh dwarf slept for one hour with each of his companions until the night was over. In the morning, Snow White woke up. When she saw the dwarfs, she was frightened, but they were very friendly, and asked, What's your name? My name is Snow White, she replied. How did you get into our house? asked the dwarfs. Then she told them how her stepmother had tried to kill her, and that the huntsman had spared her life. She had run all day long until she had arrived at their cottage. The dwarfs told her, If you will keep house for us, cook, make the beds, wash, sew, knit, and keep everything neat and tidy, then you can stay with us, and we'll give you everything you need. Yes, with pleasure, Snow White replied, and she stayed with them. She kept house for them. In the morning, they went up to the mountains in search of minerals and gold. In the evening, they returned, and dinner had to be ready for them. Since the girl was by herself during the day, the good dwarfs gave her a strong warning. Beware of your stepmother. She'll know soon enough that you're here. Don't let anyone in the house. After the queen had finished eating what she thought were Snow White's lungs and liver, she was sure that she was once again the fairest in all the land. She went to the mirror and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror replied, Here you're the fairest, dearest queen, but little Snow White, who plans to stay with the seven dwarves far, far away, is now the fairest ever seen. When the queen heard this, she was horrified, for she knew that the mirror could not tell a lie. She realized that the huntsman had deceived her and that Snow White must still be alive. She thought long and hard about how she could kill Snow White. Unless she herself was the fairest in the land, she would never be able to feel anything but envy. Finally, she came up with a plan. After staining her face and dressing up as an old peddler woman, she was completely unrecognizable. She traveled beyond the seven hills to the seven dwarfs in that disguise. Then she knocked on the door and called out, Pretty wares for a good price. Snow White peeked out of the window and said, Good day, old woman. What do you have for sale? Nice things, pretty things, she replied. Stay laces in all colors. And she took out a silk lace woven of many colors. I can let this good woman in, Snow White thought to herself, and she unbolted the door and bought the pretty lace. Oh, my child, what a sight you are. Come, let me lace you up properly. Snow White wasn't the least bit suspicious. She stood in front of the old woman and let her put on the new lace. The old woman laced her up so quickly and so tightly that Snow White's breath was cut off and she fell down as if dead. So much for being the fairest of them all, she said and hurried away. Not much later in the evening, the seven dwarfs came home. When they saw their beloved Snow White lying on the ground, they were horrified. She didn't move in the slightest, and they were sure she was dead. They lifted her up, and when they saw that she had been laced too tightly, they cut the stay laces in two. Snow White began to breathe, and little by little, she came back to life. When the dwarfs heard what had happened, 
they said. The old peddler woman was none other than the wicked queen. Beware, and don't let anyone in unless we're at home. When the wicked woman returned home, she went to the mirror and asked, <laughs> Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror replied as usual, Here you're the fairest, dearest queen, but little Snow White, who plans to stay with the seven dwarves far, far away, is now the fairest ever seen. The blood froze in her veins when she heard those words. She was horrified, for she knew that Snow White was still alive. But this time, she said, I will dream up something that will destroy you. Using all the witchcraft in her power, she made a poisoned comb. Then she changed her clothes and disguised herself as another old woman. Once again, she traveled beyond the seven hills to the seven dwarfs, knocked on the door, and called out, Pretty wares at a good price. Snow White peeked out of the window and said, Go away. I can't let anyone in. But you can at least take a look, said the old woman and she took out the poison comb and held it up in the air. The child liked it so much that she was completely fooled and opened the door. When they had agreed on a price, the old woman said, Now I'll give your hair a good combing. Poor Snow White suspected nothing and let the woman go ahead, but no sooner had the comb touched her hair when the poison took effect and the girl fell senseless to the ground. There, my beauty said the wicked woman. Now you're finished. <laughs> and she rushed away. Fortunately, it was almost evening, and the seven dwarfs were on their way home. When they saw Snow White lying on the ground as though dead, they suspected the stepmother right away. They examined Snow White and found the poisoned comb. As soon as they pulled it out, Snow White came back to life and told them what had happened. Again, they warned her to be on her guard and not to open the door to anyone. At home, the queen stood before the mirror and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror answered as before, Here you're the fairest, dearest queen, but little Snow White, who plans to stay with the seven dwarves far, far away, is now the fairest ever seen. When the queen heard the words of the mirror, she began trembling with rage. Snow White must die, she cried out, even if it costs me my life. Then she went into a remote, hidden chamber where no one ever set foot and made an apple full of poison. On the outside, it looked beautiful, white with red cheeks, so that if you saw it, you longed for it. But anyone who took the tiniest bite would die. When the apple was finished, she stained her face, dressed up as a peasant woman, and traveled beyond the seven hills to the seven dwarfs. She knocked at the door, and Snow White put her head out of the window to say, I can't let anyone in. The seven dwarfs won't allow it. Ow, oh, that's all right, replied the peasant woman. I'll get rid of my apple soon enough. Here, I'll give you one. No, said Snow White. I'm not supposed to take anything. <laughs> Are you afraid that it's poisoned? Asked the old woman. Here, I'll cut the apple in two. You eat the red part, I'll eat the white. 
The apple had been made so artfully that only the red part of it was poison. Snow White felt a craving for the beautiful apple, and when she saw that the peasant woman was eating it, she could no longer resist. She put her hand out the window and took the poisoned half, but no sooner had she taken a bite when she fell down on the ground, dead. The queen stared at her with savage eyes and burst out laughing. <laughs> White as snow, red as blood, black as ebony. <laughs> this time, the dwarfs won't be able to bring you back to life. At home, she asked the mirror, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And finally, it replied, Oh, queen, you are the fairest in the land. Her envious heart was finally at peace, as much as an envious heart can be. When the little dwarfs returned home in the evening, they found Snow White lying on the ground. Not a breath of air was coming from her lips. She was dead. They lifted her up and looked around for something that might be poisonous. They unlaced her, combed her hair, washed her with water and wine, but all of it was in vain. The dear child was dead, and nothing could bring her back. They placed her on a bier, and all seven of them sat down on it and mourned her. They wept for three days. They were about to bury her, but she still looked like a living person with beautiful red cheeks. They said, We can't possibly lower her into the dark ground. And so they had a transparent glass coffin made that allowed Snow White to be seen from all sides. They put her in it, wrote her name on it in golden letters, and added that she was the daughter of a king. They brought the coffin up to the top of a mountain, and one of them was always there to keep vigil. Animals also came to mourn Snow White, first an owl, then a raven, and finally a dove. Snow White lay in the coffin for a long, long time, but she did not decay and looked as if she were sleeping, for she was still white as snow, red as blood, and with hair as black as ebony. One day, the son of a king was traveling through the woods and arrived at the dwarf's cottage. He wanted to spend the night there. On top of the mountain, he saw the coffin with beautiful Snow White lying in it, and he read what had been written in golden letters. Then he said to the dwarfs, Let me have the coffin. I will give you whatever you want for it. The dwarfs answered, We wouldn't sell it for all the gold in the world. Then he said, Make me a present of it, for I can't live without seeing Snow White. I will honor and cherish her as if she were my beloved. The good dwarfs took pity on him when they heard these words, and they gave him the coffin. The prince ordered his servants to carry the coffin away on their shoulders. It happened that they stumbled over a shrub, and the jolt freed the poisonous piece of apple lodged in Snow White's throat. She came to life. Good heavens, where am I? she cried out. The prince was overjoyed and said, You are with me. And he described what had happened and said, I love you more than anything else on earth. Come with me to my father's castle. You shall be my bride. Snow White had tender feelings for him, and she departed with him. Their marriage was celebrated with great splendor. 
Snow White's wicked stepmother was also invited to the wedding feast. She put on beautiful clothes, stepped up to the mirror, and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? The mirror replied, My queen, you may be the fairest here, but the young queen is a thousand times more fair. The wicked woman let loose a curse, and she became so petrified with fear that she didn't know what to do. At first, she didn't want to go to the wedding feast, but she never had a moment's peace after that and had to go see the young queen. When she entered, Snow White recognized her right away. The queen was so terrified that she just stood there and couldn't budge an inch. Iron slippers had already been heated up over a fire of coals. They were brought in with tongs and set right in front of her. She had to put on the red-hot iron shoes and dance in them until she dropped to the ground, dead. The End Don't wander away from the campfire. We're about to shed some light on the incredible treasure hidden in this story. We begin with the good queen, Snow White's mother. While sewing and staring out her ebony-framed window at the gently falling snow, she accidentally pricks herself with her needle, causing three drops of blood to fall upon the white flurries. Unconcerned with her wound, the queen is captivated by the stark beauty of the three colors together and wishes for a child as white as snow, as red as blood, and as black as the wood of the window frame. In this transcendent moment, the queen prophesies over the life of her unborn daughter. She mentions three colors. Three is a number of covenant, completion, confirmation, the trinity, and resurrection. In Christ-like fashion, Snow White will cheat death through resurrection after three direct attempts on her life. The princess exhibits both outward and inward traits associated with each color, white, red, and black. Her skin is white and unblemished like a sacrificial lamb, referring to her innocence, purity, and future redemption. In Revelation 3.5, Jesus says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Snow White will overcome the threat on her life, as well as her own transgressions, by the end of the story. Her red lips and rosy cheeks hint at the beauty of her womanhood, which brings her both blessings and curses, just as crimson has both positive and negative symbolic connotations. Red signifies passion, love, blood, the covering of the blood of Jesus, anger, danger, warning, and the transition from child to woman. Snow White is growing up girl throughout the story and faces both the beauties and dangers of this vulnerable state through her interactions with other characters, especially the evil queen. The combination of red and white illustrates the struggle between Snow White's spirit man and sin nature, while indicating that she is washed clean through the blood of the Lamb. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 1.18 Black refers to sin, darkness, and death. Her black hair hovers around her like an ominous cloud of doom, foretelling the struggle Snow White will face as she is mercilessly hunted by her stepmother, narrowly escaping death again and again, only to succumb to it after repeated disobedience, from which she is redeemed. 
That's a lot of information crammed into a simple wish. Soon enough, God grants the young queen's desire, and she gives birth to a healthy baby girl who matches the description of her request perfectly. But, subject to fairy tale rules, the good mother dies soon afterward, leaving her bereft husband with the task of choosing a new mother for Snow White. We are never told what the relationship is like between Snow White and her father. He slips into the plot long enough to sire Snow White, marry the evil queen, and promptly disappear for good. His quick exit is partly explained in that female adolescence is often marked by the pain of an absent father, whether it is physical or metaphorical. Out of fear, distraction, or disinterest, he pulls back from this strange individual who used to be his little girl and is now turning into a wild, mysterious creature for whom no perfect instruction manual has been written. He can only stare across the border of the country of womanhood, shouting advice as she battles the dragons and witches lurking there that he can't always see. Often, it is on this battlefield that God calls a young woman to draw nearer to him, gently showing her that he has loved her with an everlasting love and is the source of all she is after. Jeremiah 31.3 As a woman becomes less dependent on the attentions of an earthly father, she still hungers for love and acceptance. This is like blood in the water to the enemy, who will send out forces in droves to steal her heart from God and encourage her to seek the approval she craves in the eyes of anyone but the one who made her. I address this issue because some folklore critics will argue that Snow White and the Wicked Queen are in a silent competition for the king's attention. I heartily disagree. One, because the king is hardly around. And two, because the queen's competition is with, well, everyone. The attention of one man is not enough for her. She strives to be the fairest one of all. Snow White, meanwhile, couldn't care less. She isn't obsessed with her own beauty. If people tell her she is lovely, that's nice, but it isn't everything to her. In fact, we never see Snow White acknowledge her own beauty. Rather, we hear other characters commenting on it and reacting to it, and see Snow White dealing with the positive or negative consequences of their words and actions. Unfortunately, that is the case for many women, regardless of age. We have to cope with the way people receive us and treat us based on our appearance, whether we buy into the game or not. The rules are ever-changing, with few exceptions, and anyone who meets their culture's standard of beauty one day may fall out of favor the next. This fluctuation of criteria causes confusion, division, and lifelong wounds hemorrhaging bitterness and jealousy. It encourages women to become the worst enemies of ourselves and our sisters as we sacrifice peace, healthy relationships, and enjoyment of the blessings God has given us to pull ahead in the race for acceptance and love through physical perfection. I say we because I am absolutely the product of a toxic culture. While God continues to sanctify me, there are things entrenched in me that I haven't broken free from yet. But it encourages me to see the girls and women coming up behind me who have seen the torture my generation and the ones before have gone through in the quest for physical perfection and chosen not to fall in line behind us. I don't care for the phrase body positivity, but I appreciate what the movement is trying to do in the way of drawing attention to the many varieties of loveliness God makes. He creates all kinds of beautiful because he himself is all kinds of beautiful. In contrast to the world, 
God's standard of truth is not fluid, but hard like adamant stone. He calls us fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. We don't have to shove ourselves into a restrictive, man-made, iron-maiden cookie-cutter to please Him. While He delights in designing us and calling us good, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16.7 By the time she is seven years old, Snow White is as beautiful as the bright day, and more beautiful than the queen herself. This is not a commentary on beauty ageism, which is a demonic device of the enemy used to cause division among women and between the sexes. Clearly, the storyteller's assertion takes both inner and outer beauty into account. It's not only her physical attributes that make Snow White more beautiful, but her kind heart. She possesses the gentle and quiet spirit described in 1 Peter 3.4. Remember that the word gentle here does not mean timid or ineffectual. The original Greek word for gentle in this passage is praus, which refers to exercising God's strength under his control. For example, demonstrating power without undue harshness helps word studies. It's the same word Jesus uses to describe himself when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 Jesus is a ferocious man. Read a little bit of Isaiah for a clearer picture. He could have destroyed everyone who stood in his way, but it would have defeated the purpose of his coming here as a holy and living sacrifice to redeem creation. He withheld the full measure of his wrath out of love and mercy. Snow White could prance around torturing her stepmother with her beauty. She could run to her father after escaping the huntsman and have her stepmother killed for treason, but chooses not to. The word quiet in 1 Peter 3.4 does not mean someone who never speaks up or has her own opinion. The original Greek word, hesukios, refers to being still and settled, with a divine calm, and having no need to stir up trouble, helps word studies. The princess feels no need to compete with her stepmother because she is at peace with herself and who she is becoming. From a godly standpoint, her spirit is more beautiful than the queen's. The older woman has fashioned herself into her own idol, garnering her sustenance from the approval of her magic mirror and threatening all who stand in her way. Snow White, on the other hand, prays to God as her source and does her best not to take advantage of others to satisfy her needs. Snow White is seven years old when the mirror declares her a thousand times fairer than her stepmother. Remember that seven is the number of perfection, full completion, and new beginnings. At this young age, Snow White has miraculously internalized a reality that her wicked stepmother could never understand, and the glory of it radiates from her eyes, adding supernatural loveliness to her extant outer splendor. Snow White is secure in herself as a daughter of God. She knows that she is loved and wanted and has a purpose. But rather than humbling herself to learn from her stepdaughter and help her maintain this fantastic discovery throughout the trials of adolescence and adulthood, the evil queen decides to eliminate her competition, hiring her huntsman to take Snow White deep into the forest and kill her bringing back her lungs and liver as trophies. The liver filters out toxins in the body and releases what is good and necessary to sustain life into the bloodstream, Johns Hopkins Medicine. 
lungs bring in air from the atmosphere and pass oxygen into the bloodstream. From there, it circulates to the rest of the body. Medical News Today. These vital organs are representative of discernment, filtering the good into the pot, the bad into the crop, and utilizing the good to help the body survive and thrive. Notice that both organs also have to do with purifying and regulating the blood, symbolizing salvation through the perfect blood of Jesus. The evil queen wants to rob Snow White of life, power, and salvation. Without the ability to filter out evil and process good, Snow White will cease to function correctly. The enemy seeks to cloud our judgment and prevent us from processing God's truth, which is as necessary for our successful survival as the air we breathe. Messengers of darkness are dispatched daily to attack our vulnerable cores and distort our perception of what God calls certain. But we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to crumple all dispatches from the Father of Lies and refute them with the living and powerful Word of God. The huntsman attempts to obey his orders, but his will is conquered by Snow White's innocence and purity. Rejecting the false command that she must die, she pleads with him to let her live, promising to run away into the woods and never return. This bargain not only saves her life, but the huntsman's dignity. If Snow White never comes back, he can never be accused of treason for sparing her, and is free to return home without a child's blood on his conscience. Her righteous choice to have mercy on him inspires him to be merciful. Instead of slaying the princess, he catches and kills a young boar, harvesting the required organs from it to bring to the queen. Wickedly, she orders them to be brined and served to her for dinner, thinking that she is feasting on Snow White's lungs and liver. Meanwhile, the little princess is left in the wild, forced to become lost in the woods to find the solace she is looking for. The story of David is much like that of Snow White. From a young age, God blessed David and chose him to be the next king of Israel. Saul, the current king, had turned away from God, so God's spirit had left him in search of a man after his own heart. He chose David and trained his hands for war and his fingers for battle in secret, building the boy's faith. Psalm 144.1 David didn't plot to become the next monarch just as Snow White never schemes to outshine the queen. Instead, he waited patiently for the prophecy to come true in the Lord's time, honoring Saul as if he were the king's own son, and winning favor with everyone because of his righteous conduct. But Saul became ravenously jealous of the young hero when he heard his subjects chanting in the streets, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. 1 Samuel 18.7 From that day forward, Saul hated David and attempted to murder him multiple times. Through the help of the king's son, Jonathan, David escaped from the palace and went into hiding, just as the huntsman helped Snow White to flee into the forest. Unfortunately, Saul couldn't leave well enough alone and wrecked many lives in his crazed manhunt for David. Like him, the evil queen cannot leave her stepdaughter in peace because she has no peace herself. Jealousy, especially when it's intergenerational, causes a ripple effect of destruction. It prevents trust, stops the flow of wisdom, and robs both parties of the opportunity for intimate connection. The successful completion of some of the good works God ordained for them to do may be delayed or cheapened because of the hatred of one party for another. And if the toxic behavior continues, 
God may choose to stop up the blessings of the offending party, remove them from their current circumstances, expose them, or put them to death. It's especially sad when jealousy tears apart female relationships, because we are central to the creation of community. We were made as the original answer to the problem of human loneliness, according to Genesis 2.18. What is envy if not a snare of the enemy to catch and hold people in isolation, enabling the forces of darkness to torment them while they refuse to make connections with people who will remind them of God's truth? It's no wonder that women have long been the targets of the accuser's wide-scale attack against real beauty and godly identity. If we can't stand being around each other for fear of feeling inferior, how will we make and sustain godly communities whose faith and spiritual activity for the kingdom of heaven threatens the success of Satan's lair? Communities thrive best where Christ-centered intergenerational relationships bloom. Titus 2, 3-5 asserts that older women are meant to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy, to be kind. Like so many of the wicked stepmothers we've met in the fairy tale forest, the evil queen forsakes her duty to protect and guide the generation coming up behind her choosing instead to selfishly persecute her stepdaughter through witchcraft and manipulation. Needless to say, our heroine could use a change of scenery, somewhere less spiteful where people aren't cold and vindictive. She needs a wilderness experience to purge herself from her time in Egypt. Scared and unsure where to find shelter, Snow White flies through the forest. Wild animals approach her, but, sensing her innocence, do her no harm. No disaster comes near her because she is divinely protected. It's a small detail, but I appreciate that the text notes that she races over sharp stones and through thorn bushes. These are two of the obstacles Jesus mentions in the parable of the sower, representing people who hear the word joyfully, but do not let it take root in them because of persecution, or else allow the cares of the world to choke it out of their hearts, becoming unfruitful. Matthew 13, 20-22 Snow White overcoming these physical obstacles indicates that her heart will not be defeated by the atrocities committed against her. While she will have to cope with what her stepmother has done, she is hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. 2 Corinthians 4.8 She will not close herself off to God or become bitter because of one woman's mistake. Frankly, that takes guts. You may have heard me mention in other episodes that I once lived through a four-year experience where each sphere of my life was dominated by a woman who was meant to teach and mentor me, but chose instead to abuse and reject me. I had multiple evil queens trying to tear me apart throughout adolescence with no relief in sight. The devil was working overtime using this onslaught in an attempt to get me to willingly abandon my post and turn my back on God's purpose for my life. It took longer than I'd like to admit for me to forgive these women because of how effectively they'd been used to hurt me. But I persevered through each situation and clung to God as hard as I could. He held me through my anger and my sadness. In His mercy, He eventually put me in wilderness spots away from each one, so that I could get my bearings and understand the truth of my ill-treatment. I had to learn that none of it was my fault. 
that I didn't deserve what was done to me by virtue of my being different or uncontrollable. God made me strong, striking, and unbending because He knew I'd need to be in order to serve my purpose. I didn't need to douse the fire in my heart to make people comfortable with me. I needed to burn brighter. And He reminded me that the war wasn't me versus these women, but me equipped with godly authority versus the already defeated kingdom of darkness. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6.12 After this, I prayed for him to heal me of my female authority wounds and connect me with godly women. To date, he has sent me more righteous female mentors and friends than the number of women who had been used against me. Many of them came into my life within days of me praying that prayer. He really is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Ephesians 3.20 I'm still working out my salvation with fear and trembling like everyone else. But I want you to know that if you felt like you need to lop off chunks of your soul to make yourself more agreeable or less of a target for others, stop. Stop trying to kill the beautiful parts of yourself that God meant to shine and point people back to Him. Jesus never changed His message or His character for fear of offending anyone. He obeyed God rather than man, and He warned us that the world would hate us because we belong to Him. John 15, 18-22 If someone has a problem with the way God made you, not the identity you've created for yourself, but the honest-to-goodness way He designed you that you can't alter no matter how hard you try, you're not the one with the problem. Other people's extreme reactions to you are directly linked with the reality of the spiritual realm. Darkness can't abide light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. John 3.20 The cruel women I dealt with, even the ones who followed Jesus, hated me because God's light in my life exposed ugliness and hurt in their hearts that they hadn't conquered yet. The evil queen loathed Snow White because her inner purity and loveliness illuminates the darkness in her own soul. It's one thing not to like someone because of personal differences. That's fine. We're not called to like everyone. We're called to love everyone. If we are not children of darkness but children of light, We need to love like it. In practical terms, that means remembering that the person persecuting you is just that, a person, whom God sacrificed His Son to redeem. We pray for abusers and persecutors to accept salvation and allow Jesus to be the complete Lord of their lives. They need Him just as much as we do. But we go to war against the demonic entities using these people as their puppets to torment the saints of God. One of the ways to regroup and find the courage to do that is to embrace the wilderness experience. In it, God leads you into an environment away from your immediate source of trouble. It's a place that's scaled back from what you've been used to, usually involving a lot of quiet and manual labor, a spot conducive to drowning out the voices in your head and sharpening your ability to pick up on the voice of God. During your time there, you learn new skills and hone old ones. 
Sometimes, you'll meet other people in the wild meant to help you pick up the pieces and make sense of what you've just been through so you can move forward. And often, the enemy will creep in and use the beautiful isolation of the place to try out new methods of attack, turning your recovery zone into the battleground of testing. You can pass these ordeals with flying colors if you apply the lessons you've learned from the Holy Spirit, submitting to God and resisting the devil. By the time you leave, you should be stronger than you were when you arrived. Snow White experiences all of this during her wilderness adventure in the woods. Forests, after all, are places of transformation, and she cannot leave the same girl she was when she came. Having conquered the treacherous path and kept her faith, Snow White finds herself standing in front of a quaint little cottage. Upon entering, she sees that everything inside the dwelling is tiny, indescribably dainty and spotless. Everything is orderly, and there are seven of each household necessity. The bed linens and tablecloths are even described as being white as snow. Unwilling to deprive anyone of their entire meal, Snow White circumspectly takes a bit of sustenance from each plate and cup before laying down in the seventh bed and falling asleep. This is representative of the girl gleaning a bit of wisdom from each man's testimony. She takes courage and fortification from the godly examples around her, allowing them to comfort her after her initial trial. Mark 1.13 tells us that, like Snow White, Jesus passed unharmed by the wild animals and was ministered to by angels after besting his enemy on his own wilderness adventure. Rest and godly support are essential before taking the next step in ministry or on the road to recovery. The description of the dwarf's home with the recurring number seven and clean white linen symbolically indicates that the dwarves are mature, God-fearing men, innocent like Snow White, but also wise as serpents. They can easily discern the schemes of the evil queen and do their best to advise and protect their young ward. Did it surprise you to learn that, contrary to the Disney film, the dwarves are not messy little boys in need of mothering and structure, but righteous men who are good stewards with what they have, and that they kindly invite the lost princess to share in their lifestyle? We can't fault the Disney film too much for its modification of the dynamic between the princess and the dwarves. At its beginning, we see that Snow White has become the kitchen drudge, forced to do Cinderella-style labor by her evil stepmother. It isn't that meeting a group of men for the first time shoves the princess into the domestic sphere. She's been scrubbing floors since the first scene in the film. Rather, Disney Snow White has an acts-of-service love language. When she arrives at the dwarf's cottage, tidying up is a practical way to show her gratefulness for being allowed to stay. Like the woman in Proverbs 31, she does the best she can with what she has to improve circumstances for herself and her new friends. Our Snow White has no practical skills that we know of. Her gifts are her beautiful form, heart, and character. But staying with the dwarves gives her a chance to learn about hard work in a loving environment. And while they are perfectly capable of functioning without her, their lives are improved by her kindness, companionship, and assistance. The men look forward to seeing their friend every day. She is the sister and daughter they never had. Someone they can share their lives, burdens, joys, and wisdom with. Snow White is finding rest and peace in this fairy tale cottage. As the days pass, she comes to understand that there are kind people in the world who do not mean her harm and are willing to teach her right living.
but her current situation is temporary. We don't know her exact age when she comes to the cottage, but we do know that she is already too tall for most of the beds in the house. Eventually, she will outgrow the small dwelling and have to move on. Furthermore, it's only a matter of time before her wicked stepmother discovers her whereabouts. Knowing that the princess will be home alone most of the time, the dwarves caution her not to let anyone in the house unless they are home. Unfortunately, avoidance is not a permanent solution to fending off enemy onslaughts. The closed door does not block out the queen's enticing words. Not opening the door to darkness is one thing. Thwarting an attack designed especially for you is a different skill altogether, and highly necessary, especially during the most turbulent transition periods in your life. Early womanhood is fraught with turmoil as light and darkness both war for your heart. The messages received from older women during these years can fortify or break a girl's character. It is not that men do not have similar insecurities or cannot speak life over the problems we face in our adolescence, but there are things we go through both internally and externally that only another woman can fully comprehend and help us walk through. A boy looks to a father figure to confirm his masculinity. A girl looks to other women to recognize her femininity. I do not say a mother figure, because, like the evil queen, many of us have been trained to seek the approval from all women everywhere. That's not right or fair, but that's how it is. The dwarves, standing in as father figures, do not impose any standards on Snow White, other than that she complete her work well and protect herself from danger. They care about her heart and health rather than bodily perfection. Good fathers are like that. While there is nothing wrong with beauty or wanting to be seen as beautiful, the evil queen has made it into a god. Frustrated that Snow White will not do the same, and therefore does not care to play the game bound by the rules of physical insecurity, she decides to make her stepdaughter care in order to level the playing field. The princess is already beautiful inside and out. She doesn't need any extra help to achieve what she already has. But that's where the Eden trick comes in. Like Satan, the evil queen begins by eroding Snow White's confidence, undermining her with body image issues so that she questions her worth and reaches out for the lie in a desperate attempt to correct her supposed errors. Each of the wicked queen's attacks against Snow White is connected to a female insecurity. The corset lace is to control her figure, the comb to tame her hair, the food she shouldn't enjoy. Snow White does not exhibit any concern for these matters before the queen brings them to her attention. In fact, they are all problems that the vindictive woman grapples with herself and passes on to her stepdaughter like a generational curse. Regrettably, many women have been sucked into this cycle. I'm no exception. Look at all the negative words I used a few sentences ago. Control. Tame. Shouldn't enjoy. This is the bondage the kingdom of darkness would inflict on women to stop us from living fully in the freedom Jesus bled and died to give us. We are the wild, beautiful daughters of the Most High God, and the enemy of our soul would see us caged. Even under the new covenant of grace, we get so caught up in trying to perfectly obey all of the legalistic no's of the world in hopes of winning love and approval that we forget that God loved us when we were still sinners. Romans 5.8 he approves us through our faith in His Son's sacrifice, 
Ephesians 1, 5-7. We forget that our identity is secure in Christ, and that outward loveliness comes from God, and is amplified in us through His glory. We can enhance it with creative skills in imitation of our creative Father, but it is not the true sum of our worth. I'm not saying ditch your makeup or stop taking care of your temple. I'm saying don't let the enemy cow you into thinking you aren't worthy of your calling or of love because of the way you do or don't look. God has loved you with an everlasting love, and he created you in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 This trick of beauty bondage will continue to work until we start breaking the cycle. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Hebrews 10.39 Women of all generations should be speaking life and the word of God over each other, creating community where there was once competition. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Isaiah 59.19 When someone is suffering from the inundation of enemy propaganda, we are empowered by God's Spirit to speak truth over them and help them battle against the accuser's words with the Lord's irrefutable standard. We must call the Holy Spirit to come dwell in the spaces from which we command the demons of fear, insecurity, and all of their compatriots to flee in Jesus' name. Clearly, the queen would not be on board with this plan. She is self-serving, having no interest in building up anyone's kingdom but her own. Donning a disguise and staining her face, the fiendish woman crosses the seven hills separating her from her rival and knocks on the cottage door, calling out that she has pretty wares for sale. Hungry for female companionship, Snow White easily makes an exception to the dwarf's rule and lets her enemy slither into her sanctuary. The wicked woman sells the princess new laces for her corset and then criticizes her for not being laced properly. We know that this is because she wants to lace the girl herself and squeeze her to death, but her cruel comment plants a seed of doubt in Snow White's mind. Is she really beautiful? She must be very slovenly and unfeminine if this strange woman is comfortable enough to correct her. In reality, if Snow White is still wearing the gown she ran away in, it more than likely laces from the back due to her rank. She would have difficulty dressing herself without assistance. Essentially, the queen is intimating that Snow White is not worthy to be considered a beautiful princess, but could be with her help. What a lie! Satan did this in the garden and he still does it today. He tries to sell us what we already have and trick us into handing over our authority and spiritual blessings in exchange for sin and death. By surrendering her authority and allowing the queen to set the standard of worthiness, Snow White's healthy body is imprisoned in the iron grip of perfectionism, suffocating as her internal organs are crushed together by her adversary. Remember that earlier, the wicked queen commanded the huntsman to remove Snow White's lungs and liver symbolically wrecking the girl's discernment and ability to process the truth while rejecting falsehood. Unable to function, the princess collapses to the ground unconscious. Satisfied that her scheme has succeeded, the monstrous Herodon dashes back to the palace, eager to hear the magic mirror pronounce her the most beautiful woman in the world. Fortunately, the dwarves arrive home shortly after that and immediately go to battle for their friend. As soon as they slice through the restrictive stay laces, 
Snow White revives. Symbolically, the dwarves are doing spiritual warfare for their ward, slicing through the lies of the accuser with the sword of the spirit, the living word of God. I and the men and women in my sphere are practicing speaking against body image attacks with the word of God, charging after the spirit stirring up trouble rather than getting angry with the person who has been subjected to the adversary's propaganda. Notice that the dwarves do not get mad at Snow White when she explains what happened. They hear her out, and then they share their wisdom, gently correcting her. This was not an accident perpetuated by a well-meaning woman. The evil person who deliberately attacked her was her stepmother. Her appearance and weapon of choice were different this time, but the malicious intent was the same. Firmly, they advise Snow White not to let anyone in through the door unless they are home, now that the Queen knows how to find her and may very well return. Our adversary works the same way. Look at the story of Job for reference. When one tactic failed to kill Job's faith in God, the enemy took a different approach and came after another aspect of Job's life, and another and another. He did the same to Jesus in the wilderness. But in both of these instances, the one under fire clung to God and spoke his truth over himself in order to resist the enemy. Snow White, however, has not been taught how to do this, nor has she had any healthy experiences in dealing with other women. This leaves a gaping hole in her heart through which the enemy can enter and access all the avenues of her insecurity. Refusing to open the door is not enough. Snow White's discernment needs to be sharpened and her inner turmoil soothed. She has to cling to the truth and guard her heart in order to effectively defeat the queen's deceptions. Enraged to discover that her stepdaughter is still alive and gorgeous, the evil queen storms off to concoct a poison comb by means of all the witchcraft in her power. Then, masquerading as a different old woman, she once more crosses the seven hills and knocks at Snow White's door. It's ironic that every time the queen sets off to make herself fairest of them all, she has to sacrifice the beauty she's trying so hard to protect by traveling in hideous disguises. As we've previously discussed, witchcraft is manipulation and deception. It is an attack on the mind and will. God openly respects our right to free will. The enemy does not. And he will instruct anyone who will listen in the numerous ways to control and manipulate others. The poisoned comb is a direct assault on Snow White's mind. Unfortunately, by opening herself up to doubt and seeking to meet her needs illicitly, the princess has made herself an easy target. Finding a loophole to the dwarf's command, she does not open the door to let the old woman in, but speaks to her through the window. Technical obedience is disobedience. Obedience is done out of love and respect for someone else. Technical obedience is self-seeking. It's what cost Saul his kingdom in 1 Samuel 15. The young woman is eagerly pursuing a good thing that she's missing from her life, but she is unwittingly doing it through a diabolical source. There are so many things out there designed to mess with our heads in our search for acceptance that it would take an entire episode to dissect them all. But one of the most reprehensible aspects of the battle of the mind we are seeing in this story is the queen's misuse of her power. Snow White is eager for acknowledgement and wise female companionship, and instead, the queen offers her rejection, competition, and death. 
agreeing with the old woman that there is no harm in coming out to look at the comb. Snow White opens the door to her enemy again and suffers the consequences. The Wicked Queen runs the poison comb through the princess's hair until it takes effect, dropping her to the ground senseless. Delighted, the witch scurries home in expectation of affirmation from the magic mirror. A woman's hair is her glory. It's a way we express our personalities and our cultural standing. While stroking the occultly crafted comb through her rival's locks, the jealous queen is poisoning Snow White's concept of her worth. One filmed version of the story shows her jabbing the pointed teeth of the comb into Snow White's scalp to speed up the venom's flow through her bloodstream. But the scene we're presented with here is much more in keeping with the operations of the spirit of Antichrist, who seeks to wear out and discourage the saints with undulating waves of constant warfare until we cannot resist him anymore. Daniel 7.25 The poisoning is slow and steady, eroding the princess's health and grip on reality bit by bit until it completely overwhelms her system and she shuts down. Once more, the dwarves come to the rescue, removing the treacherous comb and reviving their friend. They advise her to be on her guard and not open the door for anyone. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23 The dwarves are right to encourage her and war for her life, but Snow White must find the courage to do it for herself. She keeps opening the door to destruction in her quest to mend her wounds. As frustrating as it is, we can't get mad at her. Let she who has never cracked a window cast the first stone. Because Snow White has not learned discernment or resistance, a third and successful attack is imminent. God will allow you to go through the same pattern again and again until you learn what he's trying to teach you. And the cost gets higher with each repetition. Snow White's next opportunity arrives quickly. As soon as her wicked stepmother learns that she has failed to kill Snow White yet again, she makes a dangerous vow. She is willing to trade her life for the sake of her rival's death. Jezebel made a similar vow when she threatened Elijah's life. And look where that got her. Devoured by dogs in the street, after the man of God was spirited away alive to his maker. Our story has a similar ending, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Continuing to operate under the Jezebel spirit, the vicious villainess secludes herself in the darkest, most secretive part of the castle and forges the one apple to rule them all. This poisoned apple is a mockery of Snow White's traits and the prophecy over her life. Half white, half red, with black death inside. The red half is poisoned, symbolizing the dubious gift of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember that red has both positive and negative connotations. By creating this apple, she seeks to change the times and laws to suit her agenda in Antichrist fashion. In giving the deadly red half to Snow White and consuming the white, she seeks to regain her youth and compel the mirror to alter his declaration. For the third and final time, the Witch Queen journeys to the dwarf's cottage. During their previous encounter, Snow White said that she couldn't let anyone in. Now, she blames everything on the dwarf specifically, divorcing her desires from theirs as easily as a child does by declaring, Mom said I have to. She still shows some hesitation, but her disguised adversary is so confident in the future success of her plan that she boldly hints to Snow White about the poison in the apple 
and practically dares her to take a bite, offering to share in the forbidden fruit with her. The enemy of our soul is just as brazen. He will often give his plan away and tell you what havoc he's about to wreak, but deliver it all in an irresistible package tailored to you and your weaknesses. The scene plays out here in mirror imitation of the fateful moments of the fall of man. Like Eve, Snow White adds to the commandment not to let anyone in, stating that she is not supposed to take anything, just as our first mother insisted that she must not touch the forbidden fruit on pain of death. Genesis 3.3 The evil queen insists that the girl share the apple with her, goading her to take a bite and prove she isn't afraid. Snow White sees that the fruit is good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to prove her bravery, so she grabs the red half of the apple and takes a bite. Genesis 3.6 paraphrased. Instantly, her eyes are opened. She has made a grave mistake, literally. The poison courses through her bloodstream and wrestles her to the floor. Cackling maniacally, the witch queen crows over her fallen prey and dashes home, where at last she hears the mirror pronounce her fairest in the land. Meanwhile, the dwarves do their best to pick up the pieces, washing Snow White with water and wine, pure spiritual forms of the white and red colors that have been so maligned this day. But nothing can rouse her. There is no poison comb or skin-tight lacing to remove, no great feat the men can perform. The first two attacks were done to Snow White. This one, she has done to herself, swallowing the poison offered to her by her enemy. Though she has committed a great act of treachery against herself, her spirit is still in God's hands. She remains in a state of suspended animation while her mind and heart catch up to the atrocities she has endured and find the courage to reject them and embrace new life. She is not dead, but sleeping. Even after a three-day wake, she remains as lovely as ever. Unable to bury her in the cold, dead ground, the dwarves instead fashion a glass coffin for her, emblazoned with gold letters, declaring her name and that she is a king's daughter. This coffin is placed on a high mountain. Remember that mountains represent a higher plane of thought and an intimate meeting with the Lord where revelation takes place. Snow White is mercifully set on a high place where she can heal, come to terms with all she has endured, relinquish her sin, and reclaim her true destiny. And she doesn't have to do it alone. While they wait for a miracle, the dwarves and the animals watch over her. The three mentioned are an owl, a raven, and a dove, representing the wisdom of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the peace, authority, and eternal inheritance of the Holy Spirit. In the darkest of all the wilderness moments we've seen in our stories, we are given a bright, burning fire of hope. When you are dead in your trespasses, God still loves you and takes every opportunity to bring you back to life. He doesn't abandon his plans for you when you go off the rails. He knows your name and that you are a daughter of the Eternal King. In the deathly stillness of your desolation, he woos you with his love, teaches you through his wisdom, and presents you with the opportunity to take hold of the new life and freedom his son bled and died to give you. Healing takes time. He understands that. When you've had a lifetime of the enemy's poison seeping into your ears and burrowing into your veins, it's little wonder that you'd begin to knock it back of your own free will. 
It's not surprising that you would start to believe his lies, that the kingdom of this world is supreme, and that you were unworthy of your heavenly Father's love and acceptance, or anyone else's for that matter. It's even less shocking that after bearing the brunt of this malicious campaign, you'd retreat from the field of your freedom and crawl, head-bowed, into the accuser's confining cage. But God will orchestrate an opportunity for you to spit the poison out. Sometimes it's gentle, jarring, or both at once. But in His infinite mercy, He will make it happen, because He cannot stand to see His beloved caged. He whispers to you now, just as Jesus did at the bedside of Jairus' daughter, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. Mark 5.41 And I say to you, arise. Use the word of God to tear down the strongholds of the kingdom of darkness in your life. Rebuke them in the name of Jesus and call the Spirit of God to take their place in your life. You are a daughter of the Most High God and the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 Jesus took the first step of this journey for you. He surrendered his life completely, passing every test we failed, defeating sin and death through his perfect life, demise, and resurrection, so that we could spend eternity with Him. After receiving this gift in our hearts and surrendering our lives to Him in return, you and I are accepted in the Beloved. We are free to take the liberty He's given us and shine it in every corridor of our beings, driving out the darkness and rejecting the deceptions of the enemy by boldly declaring God's truth over everything our adversary tried to destroy. We see this exemplified through Snow White's prince. When he finds her, he cannot pass her by. Compelled by her beauty and her story, he is willing to give anything required to take her away with him, promising to honor her as though she were his beloved. Under his protection, Snow White is jostled in her coffin, spewing out the poisoned apple and rejecting the dark destiny the enemy would place over her life. Alive and fully awake at last, She listens as the prince tells her her own story, redeemed and made new through the eyes of love. When he offers her a new life with him as his wife and future queen, she is moved with tenderness and joyfully accepts. Now that Snow White has claimed her freedom and fulfilled her obedience, she is ready to participate in the divine punishment of her tormentor. Knowing that the evil queen will be invited to her wedding feast, She and the prince commission iron shoes to be heated up over a fire of coals in preparation for her arrival. The wicked queen does not want to come to the feast upon hearing that she is not as beautiful as the bride, but her jealous curiosity drives her to the castle door. Instantly, Snow White recognizes her stepmother, freezing the evil woman in her tracks with her stare. Helplessly, the harridan slips her feet into the hot iron shoes set before her compelled to dance in them until she dies. But Snow White lives happily with her husband. Every tear has been wiped from her eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away, and all things are made new. Revelation 21, 4-5 Like Snow White, 
we have been awakened to new life. We too will have a wedding feast with Christ, our bridegroom, and reign with him forever and ever. The Lord will be our God, and we will be his people, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. The restoration blessings will be ours, after our enemy, the devil, is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20.10 In the meantime, take back the turf you've been given here on earth. Spit out the enemy's poisonous lies and drink deeply from God's life-giving word of truth. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the weak spots in your armor where the accuser has been slipping in and to train your hands for war and your fingers for battle against these principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You have been given the authority to overcome all the power of the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. It doesn't matter who you've been, because your Heavenly Father knows who you are. Because the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. Rise above the ashes of your past and step forward into God's perfect love, fearlessly living out the destiny of who He has called you to be. Thanks for stopping by. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to be part of what goes on in the fairy tale forest, click the support the show link in the notes and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Autumn Woods, and I can't wait to see you on the path next time you get Lost in the Woods.